But we're getting close. We're to really some of the most exciting news that there is in our in our faith. What we're going to talk about tonight, that the the song that we shared earlier, the 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 video that I that I showed, one of the lines is, "I have hope in the Father's love that's bound in the Savior's hand." The only reason we have hope in the Father's love is because the Son rose again. The resurrection. Paul said without the resurrection we have no hope. But because of the resurrection we have eternal hope. Hope that never dies. Our hope in Christ. And this morning I just invite you in Matthew chapter 28 as we read together. We'll read the first 15 verses. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid. I know what you seek. You seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly. Tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet. And worshipped him. Now Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while you slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for the truth of your word. And God, we ask as we open your word this morning, Father, that your hope would shine through. Everything we are, everything that we'll ever be hinges on the resurrection. God, we thank you so much. We thank you that indeed the hope of the Father's love is bound in the Savior's hands. In the pierced holes, the love of God who gave his life for us, a ransom for all. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified and magnified in this place as we desire to study and to know you. 
may we also come to know the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It has been said by the court of law in England that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most sure facts in all of history. The evidence behind the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we look at this, there's, there's several things I think that, that as, as we prepare to start that we need to understand about the significance of the resurrection. The first thing that I want you to understand is it proves that Jesus is who he said he was. The Son of God. It proves it. In John chapter 10, verse 17, this is Jesus' words, what he said. He said, therefore my Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it back again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my father. Jesus said, I'm the son of God. I have the power to give my life. So on the cross, he says these words, his final words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And what's the scripture say next? And he died. I have the power to give it. And I have the power to take it back again. On the third day, the resurrection proves Jesus was who he said he was. It also verifies the truth of scripture. Because in Psalm 16.10, the scripture says... You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. David is understanding this. Listen, when he says, you will not allow my soul to stay in Sheol, Sheol was the grave. And David is saying to his Lord in Psalm 16, you won't leave me in the grave. And he based that, On this understanding, you will not allow your Holy One, the Holy One is a phrase concerning the Messiah, you will not allow the Holy One to see corruption. According to Jewish thought, corruption begins on the fourth day. You remember when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, and he said, roll away the stone, you remember what they said? Lord, he's been dead four days, he stinks. Corruption had begun. It was important that that had begun so that Christ could show them that the Lord has power over the grave beyond hope. When man says there is no hope, it's over, corruption has set in. But in Psalm 16, the Lord says, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. What's that mean? He will rise when? On the third day. Corruption began on the fourth It fulfills the promise of Scripture. Throughout Scripture, Daniel chapter 9 speaks of the death of Messiah, but the psalmist would speak of his resurrection. That he will rise again. It proves the truth of Scripture. And on top of that, it assures our future resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you guys want to hold your place here, we'll be right back to, to, to Matthew, but... 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, he lays out the hope of our future resurrection hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul would write in verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who, what? Have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. My favorite part of that whole section of scripture is that last phrase. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Do you know for all eternity you will never be outside of his presence? That's so glorious to me that I will be with Jesus, that I will spend my whole life wondering how he looks, what his voice sounds like. When he looks at you with those eyes, how do you feel? I'm going to spend my whole life here wondering. But in eternity, I will never wonder. I will never say, where's the Lord? Because he's right here. I will be with him forever. Where Jesus is, there I will be also. Isn't that what he promised in John chapter 14? I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you unto myself that where I am, what? There you will be also. Forever in the presence of God. Man, that, that promise has its power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even as Jesus was raised from the dead, so you, so me, so we have the promise of a future resurrection where we spend eternity with him. It's also proof of future judgment. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, listen to what the, the scripture lays out for us. Because he, God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he ordained. He has given us assurance of this by raising him from the dead. God says Jesus is going to judge the world in righteousness. And he says we know this. We have this promise, this sure promise of a future judgment based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he is risen. The resurrection is the basis as well of the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. When well, we read about that in Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, uh, at about verse 23, this is what the scripture says. Also there were many priests because they were pre prevented from death from continuing. But he... Because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost 
those who come to God through him. Because he has an unchangeable priesthood. Hebrews would tell us he is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Without beginning of days or end of days, he is made like unto the Son of God forever. So because of his resurrection, he is able to save us to the uttermost. Anybody live in the gutter? An old time preacher used to say he's able to take us and save us from the guttermost to the uttermost. He is able to save. He is mighty to save. The scripture also goes on to say, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because he is eternal, he always lives. That means, folks, every single day, Jesus is praying for you. Every single moment. He always lives to make intercession for you. That's his high priestly ministry that we see through the resurrection. We see it through the resurrection. Listen, he goes on to say, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefilable, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as other high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever by the resurrection of jesus christ we have a high priest who understands our infirmities he understands the power of sin in the flesh though without sin he was tempted in all ways as we are yet without people often ask well how is that even possible god being tempted he never sinned. How, how, how can he really have been tempted? Well, let me ask you a question. Who has suffered more against sin? The one who continues to be tempted without? Or the one who, when he is tempted, gives in? So one who continues to be without sin. If I'm on a diet, and there's a bacon cheeseburger on the table in front of me, and you're on a diet too. Together we sit at the table. Staring at temptation in the face. When I eat that bacon cheeseburger. And I will eat that bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> I will have fallen. But my temptation is not greater. Because I fell. The temptation of the one who continues is greater we see that in the life of jesus christ given for us that perfect high priest but there's more than that listen the resurrection gives us the power to live the life god calls us to live it gives us the power for christian living in romans chapter 6 verse 4 listen to what he says therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. The power of the resurrection gives us, you and I, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead makes me and you, we, a new creation in Christ Jesus. It makes us new. The same power, still doing the work that it has always done. And it also ensures our future inheritance by the resurrection of the dead. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy, He has begotten us again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled that will never fade away. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. All these things hinge on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says, Now after... The Sabbath. In the original language, the word Sabbath is plural. Sometimes it's plural, sometimes it's singular. Some people say that doesn't mean anything. I'm here to tell you that it does mean something. If the Bible does something, it means what it does. It doesn't mean nothing. It means something. Because we don't know what it means doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. The Sabbath being plural in this case speak of this fact that during Passover there would be multiple Sabbaths, a high holy day was also a Sabbath day. Not only is Saturday a Sabbath day, but the High Holy Day is also a Sabbath day. So after the Sabbath means that there was at least two that took place during this time. It's interesting because you can go back in the Jewish calendar and begin to search for when that occurred in in the way that it would be necessary for the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's amazing how much that will narrow down the date of the crucifixion for you. I'm not going to cheat. You're going to have to do your own work. But we can look and we can see. We can see when those things would have occurred together. It says, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. So it's what you and I might call late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar, so the new day begins at sunset. So at sunset, we, we turn into the new day. But for us, we, you, well, I don't know about for you guys, I, the day begins when I see sun. Prior to sun, it's still Friday or Saturday. <laughs> That's my rule. It's my life. I get to have whatever rules I want. <clears throat> In the Marine Corps, sometimes we would get up at zero dark 30, and I was never really sure what time it was or what day it was. So that's probably where that all stems from. But we, they rose up. They were, I want you to think about the women. The women were the last ones at the cross. They went to the tomb and watched where they placed Jesus. Then they went home for the Sabbath and they, and they began to make preparations so that they could finish up what wasn't done right. Men, you know, this is exactly how it always goes. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Jesus from the cross and wrapped him while the women watched. And while they watched, they looked at each other and said, they, they didn't do this right. They, they didn't do that. 
Are you going to tell them? I'm not going to tell them. You tell them. I'm not going to tell them. Look, we'll just come back ourselves and do it right. You know that's what happened. The Bible tells us that the women went back and they gathered up the spices and they were coming to do what? Anoint the body of Jesus. And they could barely wait for Sabbath to end so that they could go. That's the, that's the intense love that they had for him. This intense love. So before the sun comes up and after the Sabbath day, so sometime between 6 p.m. Saturday, Sabbath day is over. Uh, the, the sun hasn't risen yet on, on Sunday. They take off for the tomb. It says, and behold... There was a great earthquake. You might find it interesting. Every once in a while there's something in the scripture that, different that jumps out at me. Maybe it doesn't happen for you, but it happens to me. Something jumps out and I wonder, I wonder how many times in the Bible there's a great earthquake. Six. Six times the Bible talks about a great earthquake. Lots of times it talks about earthquakes. We just talked about an earthquake last time where the rocks burst open. Where they could no longer hold back their their cry for the Savior who was dying. And man who had praised Him earlier was silent, so the rocks cried out, and the earth quaked. But at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is a great earthquake. And that great earthquake, guys, demonstrates the power of God and our hope for tomorrow. It demonstrates the power of God. Let me give you the six really quick. In Luke chapter 22, in the, when Jesus is talking about the tribulation period, in the beginning of sorrows, he speaks about a great earthquake in various places. When Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail, remember? Paul and Silas were down in the jail, down in the very bottom of the jail, in the, in the lowest, darkest place, singing praises, and there was a great earthquake. That earthquake, actually, if you have opportunity to travel to, to Philippi today, I had an opportunity to walk in there. You can still see the fissure in the, in the foundation where it busted the wall. But it's not hard to understand how people got out. They didn't have to go out the gate. There was a big hole in the side. Like somebody blew up the, the side of the, like an old jailbreak. It opened it up and they were able to flee. The Philippian jailer ready to fall upon his sword, but rather comes to salvation as a result of this great earthquake when the sixth seal judgment is open the scripture says when the sixth seal is open there will be a great earthquake goes on to tell us when the two witnesses in the in the book of revelation when the two witnesses have been killed and the people leave them laying in the street for three days and they begin to give each other gifts and presents because the two witnesses that were such a pain to the whole world are dead and they celebrate their death on the third day they're going to rise and when they rise there's a great earthquake the outpouring of the power of god when the seventh and last plague is poured out at the end of the tribulation period. The scripture says there will be a great earthquake. But the first one listed in all the scripture is this one. When Jesus rose from the dead, the earth could not contain her joy. And she shouts forth as the Messiah comes out of the grave. There's a great earthquake. The power of God revealed in the resurrection. Man, the earth shook. Not just your typical normal earthquake. There was something special about this one. 
You can look into the Arco volumes if, if you uh, uh, believe the Arco volumes to be accurate and true. They are letters in the Arco volume, volumes from Pilate to Caesar describing the events. It's a, at least, if nothing else, a curious read if you want to check out what he had to say about that. But not only does he talk about an incredible earthquake, but at the same time when Christ was resurrected, Pilate says, some people reported the dead coming out of their graves and walking through town. Just like the Bible says. The graves were open at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A great earthquake takes place. Shows the power of God. The cool thing in the scripture is we see the power of God and the resurrection in all three persons within the Trinity. The Son said, I have power to lay down my life and I have power to raise it up again. The Spirit tells us in the, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 8, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit empowered the resurrection. The Bible says that the Son empowered the resurrection. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, if you want to just flip over there, we're just going to look at it real quick, but it's, it's pertinent to understanding the power of the resurrection in your life. In Ephesians chapter 1, actually we'll back up to verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? The Father raised Jesus. Jesus raised Jesus. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus. We see each and every member of the triune God being a part of this power. But what's the important thing that I want you to understand is the power that raised Jesus from the dead still gives you and I life today. It's what changes our life. It's the excitement about the Word. It's the excitement about Harvest America. It's excitement about the opportunities that I've had to be there. A couple of times I've had a chance to be there in Anaheim while the Harvest Crusade is going on. And I've watched the thousands upon thousands of people walk down on the field. Now you might say, well just because they walk down on the field doesn't mean anything. Well, maybe it doesn't. But for those people who walk down on the field, some of them have done more than Christians who have been Christians their whole life. In standing up and walking before 30,000 people in a stadium and saying, I'm with Jesus. So they walk down there and the tears and you start to read the stories of the people and the people who have been saved as a result. And the thing that stands out that proclaims the truth of the gospel is the changed lives. They are not who they once were by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised him from the dead works in me, works in you. Changes me from what I was to what I am. 
And that power is still evident today. It's still moving and working. Paul would say in Philippians 3.10, that I might know Him and what? The power of His resurrection. That I might know Him. What's Paul desiring? Paul who calls himself the chief of sinners. What is it he's looking for? The power of the resurrection to change him, to transform his life from what he was to what he is. That I might know the power of His resurrection. In Ephesians chapter 2, probably if I have to pick one chapter that I, I... They take every piece of my Bible away. I want this chapter. Ephesians chapter 2, listen to what it says. And you, He made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom you or we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He made us alive. He quickened us. He changed our life. He made us alive. Together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For ages to come, we will all be trophies of the grace of God. And it will be a trophy based on, we were once darkness, but now we are light. The changed life and the power of the resurrection. It's so exciting when the power of God, the earth quakes, this great earthquake, and it says, this power that bursts forth the earth, that shakes it to its foundation, is the same power working in your life to make you a new creation. Colossians chapter 1, listen, the Lord said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of His Son, the Son of His love. He has transferred us lock, stock, and barrel from dark to light. And that's the power of the resurrection. That's the power that we see when the earth quaked. That's the power that the scripture is talking about. But I want you to see what occurs. Not only does the earth quake, it says, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Now we know... He didn't roll back the stone to let Jesus out. How do we know that? Because as we continue to read in the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will see him pass through solid stone in his physical body. He he didn't need anybody to open the door. He was out. He was out. Why is the stone rolled away? So we could look in. If the stone was covered a grave, and I took you to his grave today, and I said, look, this grave that's all sealed up, this is where Jesus was buried, but he's not in there anymore. You guys are all going to say, whatever. How do you know he's not in there? Well, now we don't have to worry about it, do we? 
Do you know when you go to Israel today and you go to the garden tomb, which I believe is an incredible sight to see uh, a garden where the tomb, everything described in the Bible is exactly how it is. You know what the really cool thing is? This door opening that has cut before it the trough wherein a large stone would roll over the door. You know what the really cool thing is? The stone's gone. Man, he didn't just roll that thing away. That thing is gone. When he rolled it, it kept rolling. I don't know what county it stopped in or where it's at. But when they dig that whole place up, and let me tell you, in, in Israel, there's a lot of stones. There is no stone for the door. It's like God saying, there's not going to be anything to close this. You want to close it, you bury it. But that stone is gone. The angel comes down, he rolls away the stone, he sits there right at the tomb. He sits there, and, he, and then the scripture goes on to tell us, His countenance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And we see a description like this in Daniel chapter 7, when, when they see the Lord. It's, it's the countenance, the light that shines from him. Now, when you consider this, this is an angel sitting there, and his countenance is like lightning. There's this light protruding from him. When we go back to Genesis and we talk about Adam and Eve and we talk about the fact that when they, when they sinned and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and all of a sudden they realized they were naked, a lot of people will say that's because the light went out. Because prior to that time, they were clothed in the light, the Shekinah, the Kabod, the, the glory of God because they had communion with Him. And when they sinned, that light went out and they realize they were naked and then you realize the ridiculousness of trying to make a covering out of fig leaves because fig leaves are not going to look like light it doesn't really matter what you do here this angel is protruding the light the glory of god is coming off of them and the, the soldiers now i want you to think about this there is nobody on the face of the earth tougher than Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers in a Roman legion had seen war, blood, death, crucifixions by the hundreds of thousands. There's no end to the horrors that they had gone through and the terrifying things that they had seen. But when they see this angel, they fall down on the ground like dead men. They are so petrified. Let that remind you. What's the first words we always hear an angel say when he appears? Fear not. When, this, when they see him, these guys, on their face. I, I, I assume they're utterly passed out on the ground from fear. It's like those, what are they called? Fainting goats. You guys ever seen fainting goats? I guess, maybe you're not supposed to laugh about that, because I don't know if it's healthy for them or not. But when you scare a fainting goat, he just goes... I think that's what these Roman soldiers did. They turned into fainting goats right there. On the ground. On the ground. Passed out. Just freaking out. Maybe they're just tremoring. Because later on we're going to see them tell the, the, the chief priests everything that happened. So maybe they're just so scared they can't even move. And who's moving? Who do they see moving? The women. The women. They come walking up to it. They come walking up. And listen, the angel answered and said to the woman, he's going he's gonna to tell them six things we're going to see here. Six things. The first thing, first thing he's going to do is the first thing God does in your life too. He's going to breathe encouragement. What's the encouragement he gives? 
Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, in the, in the church today, there's lots of opinions about lots of different things. We can argue about anything if you, if you want. We can argue about lots of different stuff. And when we talk about eschatology, there's a lot of different views in eschatology. That means the study of end things and how, how's the world going to end and how's it all going to come together. And you have amillennialism and premillennialism and you have, you have uh, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath view, all kind of different views. Let me tell you, let's wrap all them views down into one. It's in these two words. Don't be afraid. Period. Don't be afraid. God is with you. You don't have to be afraid of nothing. Ever. I look at, trust me. I am filled with trepidation as I look at our nation and where our nation's going. And I know maybe somebody will get mad at me, so please forgive me before I say what I'm going to say. But I'm going to say it anyway. I don't think, and before I say this, you better all vote or I will haunt you. But I don't think... I vote so that God has a record of what I did with the freedom he gave me. But I don't think we're going to change anything with our vote. I don't think we're going to change anything. But I don't have to be afraid. I do not have to be afraid. The encouragement that God gives is, hey, I'll be with you. Even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if life gets worse, even if the economy continues to sink, even if we become a third world country, even if... Whatever you can imagine happens. The advice from God to us is the same. Do not be afraid. You will never find a place on the pages of scripture where God says, be very afraid. (laughs) Unless you're not a believer. In which case, he says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But for believers, he says, don't be afraid. More than 365 times, which means you have more than enough to cover every single day. The encouragement from God, don't be afraid. I remember, you guys remember Y2K? Was anybody around? Okay, uh, confession time. I was a Y2K freak. I was a Y2K freak. Um, To my eternal horror and shame. (laughs) Nobody was sadder on New Year's Day of the year 2000 than me when I turned on my computer and everything worked fine <laughs> but I do remember the weirdness as that, as that thing was going on maybe some of you guys remember there was a lot of fear man we're, ne- we're never supposed to be afraid do not be afraid the first word of encouragement and then I love what the angel says he says I know what you're doing here I know what, who you're looking for I know what you're going through. You know, the angel knew what they were going through. You think God doesn't know what we're going through? You think the Lord has lost sight of it, what you're experiencing or what's going on in your life? It's not true. I know what you're going through. What's he saying? Don't be afraid. I know what's happening in your life. I know the things that you're facing. But in verse 6, he gives a, an explanation of why we have hope beyond the grave. 
What's it say? He is not here. He is risen. That, by the way, they put a little wooden door on the, on the tomb. They put this little wooden door on the tomb in, in Israel. When you walk through it, it says, He is not here. He is risen. Still, empty today. The explanation, why am I here? He, he, Christ is risen. He's risen. You have hope beyond the grave. The graves burst open. The, the whole point is to say, death has no power over you. None. None. We stop breathing here. Immediately we're translated into the very presence of Almighty God. Immediately we're face to face with Him. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are covered in His righteousness because you put your trust in Him, the Bible says that no more glorious a day than that day. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will be no more horrific day than that day. But the power of death is broken. It has no power anymore over us. He gives the explanation, but then he goes on and he says, Now, I want you to see the evidence of it. Look, come and see where the Lord lay. Come see the empty tomb. The angel says, Go look. He's risen. You guys were here when they put him in. You were right over there talking about how they didn't do it right. And so you brought these spices to anoint them and, and do the job properly. And I want you to look. He's not here. Now they come up with a lot of reasons why the tomb of Jesus is empty. They think that the Marys all went to the wrong tomb. They were so confused. You know men came up with that idea, right? Somewhere men came up with the idea that the woman was so confused she got lost on her way to the tomb that she spent all day, two days before at. That didn't happen. You don't think if the, if the chief priest had a body, you don't think they would have brought it out? Wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. He's right here. Look, it's Jesus. What'd they do? They bribed soldiers instead. Why? Because they didn't have a body. Why? Because he's risen. Just like the Bible said. The power of God is available to you and I. Well, what else happened? He, he says, come and see the evidence that has occurred. And then he calls them to evangelism. What's he say? The same thing throughout this, in this chapter, three times you get the same thing. Come and see what's next. Go and tell. Come and see. Go and tell. Come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see that the tomb is empty. Now, go and tell somebody about it. Go tell somebody about what God has done. Go quickly, he says. And tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And then, the greatest promise in this, and we see it several times in the scripture as well, the promise of an encounter. And he is going before you to Galilee, and you will see him. You and I, we, we, don't, we go to Galilee today, we're not going to see him. But that last part of that promise, let me tell you, if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, listen, you will see Him. The promise of an encounter. You will be in His presence forever. That's our hope. That's what holds us up. The promise of that encounter. And what happens next is excitement. Look what happens in the lives of these ladies. He says, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. You ever seen those two things together? They're kind of freaked out. Come on now. You guys would be kind of freaked out too, wouldn't you? 
I just had a conversation with an angel. Jesus' body isn't there. I'm pretty stoked about what this means, but wow, I'm kind of freaked out too. So they're taken off with great fear and but the, the, the outpouring of a life that has been saved is the same thing. You see somebody when they get saved, this is what happens. All that, all the chinks, all the garbage that's hanging on them, holding them down, gets broke out. And they're full of, of, of fear and joy. Fear and joy. They go forward and they begin to talk. And what happens? The fulfillment of the promise in verse 9. And when they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And then there is no greater proclamation of worship in the pages of scripture than what these women did did you read it we just sang a song about it that i fall down they fell down at his feet the hebrew word for worship is shakah it is to bow down and prostrate oneself they were on their face They're on their face, grabbing the feet of Jesus. The word, the Greek word for worship is the word proskuneu. It's the idea that you would have when you went to a king, and you would begin to bow before the king, and you would turn toward. He would hand you, he would put out his hand, and you would take his hand to kiss it. It means to bow toward, to kiss. Proskuneu, to worship. They drop down at his feet. It's an act of of humility, of humbleness. They're so stoked to see Jesus. They they don't grab his waist or grab his neck. They grab his feet. They grab his feet. Why? Because them women had washed his feet with their tears. More than once. Those women had held on to him for all he's worth. They'd spent time sitting at his feet. Listening to his words. So they clung to his feet. They fell down on their face in worship. They bowed down and they grabbed him. Their worship was humble and their worship was physical. We have ways that we can do that today. The Bible says we lift up holy hands. I always pictured lifting up holy hands as reaching out for my daddy to pick me up. Here I am, Lord, and I'm not ashamed. But that's what it is for me. For you, that act of worship might be fulfilled sitting down. Listen, the act of worship that we accomplish, please don't start thinking that if I lift my hands, I'm more holy. That's garbage. If I stand and and they sit, I'm more holy. That's garbage. You can worship the Lord on your face. You can worship the Lord sitting in the seat. You can worship the Lord standing. The act of worship is what's coming out of your heart. The devotion coming out of your heart to your Savior. The outward appearance has nothing to do with anything. But we want to encourage all of it. How the Lord, how you need to express that to Him. These ladies, man, they they were down. And they were humble and they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Psalm chapter 2 verse 12 says to kiss the son. I bet they were. I bet they were. So then what does Jesus tell them? Listen to the encouragement that he gives them. What's the first phrase? We should be used to this by now. Do not be afraid. Why? Because we're supposed to be afraid? 
No, because we're not supposed to be afraid. Do not be afraid. The first thing Jesus says. And then what's he say? Go tell my brethren. Come and see. Go tell. This is what this, is what this afternoon's all about, guys. Come and see. If all we ever do is come and see and we never fulfill the second part of that, go and tell, that we're missing out on so much of the blessing of knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and having an opportunity to see other people come. Even if, even if nobody comes this afternoon and, and I was sitting here by myself and I just ended up watching the crusade uh, up on the screens, I'll still bawl like a baby when those people come forward. Because I see the power of the resurrection of God working in their lives, changing them. Jesus says, go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee. And what's the next part? The promise of the encounter. Come and see, go and tell, promise of the encounter. Come and see, go and tell, I will be with you. How's the book of Matthew going to end? And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And what's the call at the end going to be? Come and see, go and tell. That's what God wants us to be about. But while all this was going on, the soldiers got up and ran away from there. It says, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. And when they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Because that's what you always do to get someone to tell the truth, right? In order to get someone to tell the truth, you give them a large sum of money. That, that way they'll tell the truth. Otherwise, they were going to lie. They paid them a bribe. You don't bribe someone for the truth. You bribe someone for a lie. So they said, we were asleep. And you know they were afraid to do it. Because, by the way, to be asleep on guard for Rome meant death. You died like the guy you were supposed to guard. But that's not so good. That's not so good. So what did the chief priest say? Don't worry, we'll make you secure. We'll, we'll, we'll work it out with Pilate. Why could they do that? Because they had written through Herod to Caesar, complaining about Pilate three times already. And Pilate was on thin ice with Caesar. So they're thinking, hey, we still got some power over Pilate. We'll cover you guys. So that's what they did. They covered him. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews today. 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 Today you got to decide. The Bible is absolutely 100% totally true. There's no book on the face of the earth like it. None. Not one. Not even one similar. Not even one close. Nothing even remotely close. Do not believe the lies that there are other books out there somewhere that are somewhere close to that. Listen. The archaeological evidence behind the Bible is irrefutable. What you have to do when you read it is decide whether you will receive it and believe it or reject it. But you do not have the ability to say it didn't happen. I've walked in those places. I've been where the battles happened. I've seen the ground. Walked through the museums full of swords of the battles that occurred. The evidence is there every single day. You can go see it anytime you want. It's true. The question is, what are you going to do with it? When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection changes us. That's the only thing that will ever change a life. And I'm so excited to see what God's going to do. 
what God's going to do in us in the future as he pours out prayerfully revival in our land. What he's going to do tonight through the crusade. But more than that, what he's going to do tomorrow when you cross the street and tell your neighbor, God will bring forth the harvest. We have to be faithful laborers of that harvest. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for an opportunity to come and to study and to, and to see the, the beauty of the power of God evidenced in the gospel. In the gospel. Man, that's, that's what we've been about. It's what we've been studying. That's what we've been looking toward. The good news. The good news. Lord Jesus, you, you give it to us. You lay it out for us. You tell us. You tell us, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, and which, by which also you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the word that I have preached to you. For I delivered to you, first of all, That which I also received, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. That he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. That he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me. One born out of due time. Though I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called such because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. The power of the gospel is still changing lives today. Lord, we thank you for the power of your resurrection and the truth of your word. We thank you for the gospel. And Father, we pray that it might go forth this morning, Lord. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, as we enter into a time of worship, we pray that they would come forward. All you have to do is come to a prayer counselor and say, I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And they'll lead you in a prayer. That is the first step, the beginning of of a journey, a lifelong journey following the Lord Jesus Christ. What an exciting time. We pray that this afternoon as we return and we, we come in a time of prayer early, Lord God, and we pray for the harvest, Lord, and we pray that you would pour out that harvest. Some here, some there, some in the 2,000 churches across the nation, but God, that you would bring forth your harvest. Lives would be changed forevermore by the power of your resurrection. God, I thank you that you have begot us again into a living hope, an eternal hope, that we have hope in the love of the Father bound in our Savior's hands, who was pierced for me. So blessed, so glorified. Father, may you be magnified in this place. 
we seek to honor you in all we do. We lay this time in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.